Rivian Automotive is reportedly cutting 6% of its workforce. And I'll talk with Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, about news of the week from the local housing market, including how the housing boom was weaker in Chicago, but the market could prove more resilient. This means that we can expect that prices won't fall as much because what goes up must come down. Mm -hmm. We weren't quite, quite as fizzy. We can hope that it means that if there's a big downturn, we're relatively resilient and don't end up with, among other things, a big uh, number of foreclosures. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Thursday, February 2nd. At Wintrust Community Banks, you're more than just another account number. No matter your stage of life, Wintrust's dependable bankers are as dedicated to your financial success as you are. After three decades of serving communities across Chicagoland, Wintrust has built its reputation on exceptional customer satisfaction and a strong local presence. That's why Wintrust is proud to be ranked number one in customer satisfaction in retail banking in Illinois by J.D. Power. Visit Wintrust.com slash J.D. Power to learn more about Wintrust's award-winning banking experience. Members FDIC. For J.D. Power 2022 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. I'm joined by Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, here to talk about news of the week from the local housing market. Welcome back, Dennis. Always a pleasure. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Lots of stuff to get to today, so let's dive right in. Let's start by talking about uh, the Chicago housing boom. Tell me about that and what numbers you have. Yes, so I've been threatening you with year-end data for a couple of weeks, and now that most of it is in and we've massaged it into stories, one of the things we find is that in the course of the housing boom, um, it, well, it was weaker in Chicago than in almost every other big city in America in terms of price increases. Um, prices went up a lot in Chicago during the housing boom, but not nearly as much as in other as in uh, 18 of the 20 major cities in America. The only one that didn't rise as much as as Chicago was Baltimore. Everybody else above us prices. So we have data from Adam, which is an online uh, real estate property information service. Uh, comparing the median price of all homes sold in the Chicago area in 2019, which was the year before COVID, and in 2022, which is a year that began during the boom and ended as the the boom dissipated, um, comparing those, we see that the median price of all homes sold in the Chicago area was up 24.3% between all of 2019 and all of 2022. 18 other major cities were well were above that Several were well above that. Again, our figure was 24.3%. In four, in two cities, it was over 50% higher, Riverside and Atlanta. And in two, it was six, the prices went up 60%. And, and let's keep in mind, this includes the, the downturn in 2022. So we came out of it still, uh, still up 60% or more in Tampa and Phoenix. Um, so Chicago, uh, as we discussed all along the way during the boom, didn't boom as much as other cities. Yeah. And I'm positing that that is good news, both for your household and for our region. Um, for your household, uh, while it does mean that, um, you know, if I tried to sell my house during the boom, I didn't make as much money as my cousin in Phoenix, Tampa, Atlanta, Riverside. 
it and and uh, even if I didn't try to sell, if I'm monitoring my household wealth and my house is generally a big chunk of my household wealth, it didn't go up as much as my friends, relatives in those other cities. But it also means that affordability did not run away from us. We've talked about that quite a bit. And going forward, a couple of housing economists said to me, um, this means that we can expect that prices won't fall as much because what goes up must come down. Mm -hmm. We weren't quite, quite as fizzy. We can hope that it means that if there's a big downturn, we're relatively resilient and don't end up with, among other things, a big uh, number of foreclosures. Uh, and so for individuals, it's good news. For the region, probably good news. A couple of people, including an executive at World Business Chicago, told me um, because Chicago can use this, can say, look, mm. we have a diversified economy. We're in an amazingly beautiful city. We're a great place to be. And um, our housing market was resilient at a time when a lot of others were hit with a shock. Uh, and what um, one housing economist from UIC said to me is, we're the best looking city in America with moderate home prices, which yeah. is, you know, which is something that we can be, uh, we can use to our advantage going down the line. We still have crime and taxes, which are problems that the Chicago area has tried hard to get under control, but we have this as a selling point. And other cities are grappling with some of those issues too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. It's not that other cities don't have crime and and high property taxes. Right, certainly. And so then how does that square with how new home sales have dropped to the lowest level in 12 years? You know, it's very interesting to see that figure. We, You and I have talked about new home sales over the course, well, over the course of the long term, but also during the boom. And so one of the things that happened is because our home building sector was uh, very low for years prior to the housing boom, there right. wasn't a lot of inventory available. And um, one of the reasons our our uh, it, the inventory was so low or our, our the home building business was so low is that we've had flat or declining population when places like Austin, Phoenix, others were all growing. So home builders are more likely, to, the national home builders are more likely to go there where there is growing demand. So we go into the boom with very little inventory. The boom is not real long, so they can't create a lot of inventory. But one of the things that Tracy Cross Associates based, based in Schaumburg found is that not only did a lot of the inventory get spent, but there was not a lot of replacement created. One of the figures that Tracy Cross uh, follows is the number of active subdivisions going on in the Chicago area at once. Back in the boom years of 2004, 2008, there were generally about 1,100 subdivisions being built in the Chicago suburbs at once. Um, in 2022, during a housing boom, there were 259. Oh, and okay. that was down from the year 2021, which was even boomier. Uh, and so what Eric Dorshing, the head of Tracy Cross, said to me is, we're not seeing replacements. We're not seeing them say, oh, this one sold out. Let's now start another one. We're not seeing other builders come in and say, that did well. Now I'm going to do one. We're seeing the number taper off. That uh, 259 developments is the smallest number of subdivisions going on in the Chicago suburbs um, in the 21st century. Wow. Uh, that, that figure for 2022. So this sort of, this suggests that, um, you know, the home building industry didn't have enough time to come back yeah. in big numbers during the boom. I should say though, uh, while the quarter was really low, this was a report on the fourth quarter of 2022, 
um, for the year, for the full year of 2022, sales were still up. They were down, I'm sorry, I should say, sales were down from 2021, which was a massive boom year, mm -hmm. but they were still well above the average for the years prior. Okay. Um, there were 4,275 homes sold. That's about 7.5% more than the average in the years going back before this boom. So it, it's not that it was a depressed year yet. Sure. 2023 could be different because the boom is gone. And when you look at those quarterly reports that we cover every quarter, mm -hmm. um, first quarter of 2022 was down some from 2021. Last quarter of 2022 was down a lot from 2021. And the two intervening ones were, they, it was like a stair step. You could see sales going down compared to the year before. And much of that is interest rates going up. Sure. You know, those sales were going down as interest rates were going up, but it was also what I've just been talking about, the lack of inventory. And then in particular, you did some reporting, breaking all of this down by neighborhood, by, by different regions of the city and suburbs. Where did you land with that? You know, it's an interesting thing to do. I have been doing this for years. I was doing this for uh, more than a decade before I ever came to Cranes eight yeah. years ago. And it's it's very interesting to see now uh, because 2022 was such an unusual year. 2021 was uh, super boomy, but 2022, uh, you know, started way, way up above. 2022 started above 2021, which was hard to believe because 2021 had been so strong. And then the year ended well down below uh, not only 2022, but the long-term average. So we really had kind of a roller coaster year. So what we looked at in these charts is where did your location end? Where did your oh, uh, city neighborhood or suburb end the year? And it's uh, it's kind of interesting to see that one out of four of the locations, city or suburb, um, ended the year flat. Oh, interesting. Um, a lot of the numbers we've been having month by month have shown kind of a flatness for the region, but it's in about a quarter of all locations that prices at the end of 2022 really were about where they had ended 2021. That okay. doesn't mean they've been flat all the way through the boom. Yeah. Um, we also, of course, link to the 2021 chart uh, published this time last year. And you can see that it was already up quite a bit, but then you very likely ended 2022 flat with 2021. There were a couple of other things that came out. Um, so we've talked a lot about how the upper end of the market didn't start to suffer as much. The upper priced end of the market mm -hmm. didn't start to suffer as much because a lot of those buyers are not um, concerned about interest rates. They're paying cash yeah. uh, or the interest rate difference doesn't make enough of, doesn't put enough of a fear into them to back them out of the market. So some of the biggest price increases we saw in 2022, some of the places that were not flat, but up real high, um, are on the North Shore, where a lot of the buying was by uh, people buying the two, three, $4 million house. Big price increases in 2022, big median price increases in Glencoe, Lake Forest, Kenilworth, where a lot of people are probably immune to the changes in interest rates. Where else did you see big change when, when you looked at kind of all of this data? There are two things that I think really stand out, um, and they're kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum. These are in the city. McKinley Park, which is a very moderately priced area where people really would be affected by interest rates, sure. um, was a big condo uh, selling neighborhood during the boom. Um, I may have been converting from renting to owning, and an inexpensive condo in, in uh, McKinley Park would have been my choice. 
Condo sales in McKinley Park dropped by two thirds in 2022 from 2021. And that okay. is very clearly the effect of interest rates. Yeah, that's um, pretty significant. The other thing that stands out is Westtown. And I should say, um, this data comes to us broken down by the 77 Chicago communities. Yeah. Um, Westtown includes several neighborhoods or parts of several neighborhoods, but we can't break it out by those boundaries because this is how the data comes to us. In Westtown, uh, the median price of a single family home crossed a million dollars. The median price of a single family home in 2022 crossed a million dollars. In near north, crossed two million. Oh, interesting. Yeah, those are high numbers. So Dennis, you and I have talked a lot about redlining and racist covenants in Chicago's real estate past, and even some public art installations that are kind of shining a light on that. Tell me about this group that is working to create a map of all of these historical racist covenants that were put on Chicago homes. So this is a group called the Chicago Covenants Project. We had a story out on them a few months ago. Uh, they're going line by line through the Chicago, I'm sorry, through the Cook County property tract books. They're starting in Chicago, but they'll do the whole county, um, looking for these racist covenants that were placed on residential properties, primarily from the 19, late 19-teens, early 1920s, primarily through 1948 when they were outlawed by yeah. the Supreme Court. Sure. But uh, some were still placed in the intervening in the next two decades before the Fair Housing Act of, of 1968. So there's a period in the 20th century where these handwritten documents were attached to the de the property deeds, where uh, it generally it wasn't one person. It was a protective association or some going by some other name. It would be all of us on a block or all of us in a three square block area, et cetera, all signing a document essentially vowing that this property would never be sold or rented to black people, except uh, people who were working, who were our servants living in the house, our chauffeur or maid or whatever it would be. Um, and so these documents, as we said in the first story back several months ago, they're illegal now. They can't be enforced. They right. couldn't be enforced after 1968. However, they're still in those books. And so this group, the Chicago Covenants Project, is going through and finding them. And what they did this week that we reported on uh, is they've put the first map of their work online. Um, it only shows what they've done so far. And one of the things I, I really like to emphasize is that if people go to that map and they see a lot of red marks on the south side and no red marks on the north side, that doesn't mean there were no covenants placed on north side properties. That just means that this is not yet a comprehensive map. Right. This is the work they've done so far, about 20% of the, I think it's about 20% of the city books. But these cover 25, the, the red boxes you see on their map, when you if you go to their map, cover about 25,000 residential properties in the city of Chicago. They have found um, covenants that cover about 100,000 properties, but these are the ones they've put on the map. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that sort of um, brought me up short is I was talking to the head of this project, Ladale Wimling, who is uh, a professor at Virginia Tech, who's organizing this project. Um, and he said, he said, I do this for a living. I've been exploring, investigating these racist covenants through my academic career. And I was surprised by how many we're finding. He has had to revise his estimate upward. Uh, he said it's really uh, sort of 
it shows how powerful the desire to exclude black people from Chicago neighborhoods was. Um, and so on this map, you click on one of these red boxes. And one of the things that you can do is you can click to read the actual covenant, right. to read the actual document that was attached to that property. So let's just say my grandmother had a house in Englewood. I can see the document that she signed and, and it says it will not be rented or sold to Negroes unless they are chauffeurs, et cetera, living in a coach house, those kinds of things. Um, and I think it's one of the researchers I asked, you know, how do you think people are going to feel when they see this? And she said, well, it, it's jarring. Yeah. And it is. It really is. Not everybody's going to want to look. Sure. Yeah, definitely. And you had reported before about some suburban homeowners who had found that and specifically taken steps to get that taken off their property deed. Is that kind of the next step of this or is that something homeowners will have to do once that's discovered? That is a step people can take. These two projects are unrelated. This this making this map um, would make it possible if you wanted the the deed the racist language taken out of your deed. This would make it easier to find. But one of the things that surprised me is uh, I think it was early 2022 that we did the story you're referring to the yeah. the several suburban women who got legislation passed saying this can be stripped right out. This can be blacked out with a marker so that it does not appear anymore on those handwritten documents. Um, so I went back six months later to all the counties around Chicago to find out how many had done it. Cause I thought this is something people are, you know, it costs you nothing. Sure. Um, and essentially one household per County had done it there. There might've been two in one of the counties and all the County clerks, when I spoke, I'm sorry, all the County recorders, when I spoke to them, uh, were surprised themselves. They had expected a lot of foot tra traffic. They had expected people were going to come in and say, I want to black out that language yeah. on my deed from 50, 80 years ago. Uh, 50 wouldn't be right. 80, 90 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and not many people have done it. That's very surprising. It is. And the question I asked my editors here was, you know, should we do a story saying, hey, nobody's done this? And it's kind of like it, it didn't quite have legs for a story, but it has figured into this one on the map and, yeah, and others certainly. that people just aren't taking advantage of that legislation. So given that the person that you spoke with involved with this project said the scope was bigger than he thought, what is the timeline attached to getting this map completed? So they have a core of volunteers working in the basement of, of the Cook County building, going through these track books. And the number of volunteers grows all the time because yeah. people hear about it and say, oh, I'd like to do it. And in particular, one of the things people say is, oh, I live in Edison Park. I'd like to do the research on the Edison Park books or whatever it would be. Um, they expect to have everything done and mapped uh, by two years from now, by early 2025. So we will probably have updates along the way. Let's say they get to half the city or they find some big news. But certainly two years from now, you and I will be sitting here talking about that final map. All right. Let's move to some houses in particular. In the headline, you said this might be the biggest price cut ever for a Chicago home. Tell me about this. We've talked about this house before. We have. This is a house on Burling in Lincoln Park. Many people know it. It's the Perillo Mansion. Um I'm almost certain that it is the biggest single price cut, $15 million, in part because how many houses do we have, you know, that are even $15 million? I'm quite certain, but you know, Chicago journalists always want to retain a little bit of skepticism. There might be one I haven't heard of, but a $15 million price whack is, is pretty huge. This is a house built on eight 
lots on Burling in Lincoln Park. Um, I actually remember the old, the site used to be, it was eight lots deep and it was on Burling going through to Halstead. Okay. It was an old um, orphanage. And so all those eight lots were for sale. And it this is 20 years ago. And it turns out one by all those eight lots on Burling. And it turns out all those lots were bought by one person who also, I didn't know until doing this story, bought the air rights on the lots on Halstead so that when I build my big mansion on Burling, you can't then go in and build a five-story, 10-story condo that looks down into my super mm -hmm. fancy backyard with formal gardens and that sort of thing. So this house comes uh, with a lot of things, a lot of palatial finishes and formal gardens and, and big yard, but it also comes with kind of built-in privacy behind you. Nobody can build higher than uh, the commercial buildings on the block behind you that have been built that are about three stories high. Um, the mansion first listed in 2016 at, uh, sorry, the mansion first listed in 2019 at, let me say that again, because I did have it right. The mansion first listed in 2016 at $50 million, December 2016. The price went down to $45 million in February 2019. Sat there, sat there, sat there. And then in January 2023, came down by a little over $50, $15 million from 45 down to 29.9. It's an amazing house. It's really, I mean, it's 25,000 square feet. It's got gold finishes yeah. and this incredible staircase and just absolutely gorgeous looks like a palace uh but what the the listing agent told me is you know they're uh he didn't say they're older but they are older he said they've got a house in florida they're going there full time right. richard perillo is an insurance executive his firm uh formerly based in chicago is based in miami um and they're ready to let it go the interesting thing is, even at $50 million in December 2016, at that time, uh, what they said is that they had more than that in it. They had spent mm -hmm. about $60 million to buy those lots, buy those air rights, build this gigantic palatial house. They had about $60 million into it. Now they're asking, they said, I can't verify that because you know there's no public record of that. And now they're asking less than half that. That's so significant. When we talk about price cuts, we're saying, oh, they came down half a million. Oh, they came down a million. We rarely, I don't think we've ever talked about a price cut quite like that. We rarely even talk about a property selling for that much. It's rare. Right. We've had a yeah. few. We had two condos in 2022 sell for 20 million, but it's rare for a, pro for a property to sell for a whole 15 million. Right. Let alone 15 million off. Right. Indeed. Well, all the homes that we talk about, there are photos on stories at chicagobusiness.com and folks can check those out. Um, so speaking of price cuts, though, let's talk about a $6 million price cut now. Yes, it was it was a very big week for price cuts. I spent a lot of my week writing about these multi-million dollar price cuts. So that one was $15 million cut out of the price. Then in Glencoe, there was $6 million cut out of a mansion's price. They had been asking uh, $18 million since December 2020. They cut it last week to $12 million. They cut from 18 to 12. Um, and there again, what the agent told me is they're ready to roll. They've got another yeah. home. They're ready to let it go. This is an amazing house. This is one I actually have been covering for decades. It sold four times between uh, 1999 and 2017. Um, and, 20, and the price went down all that time. Sold for less 
2017, it sold for less than it had in, in 1999. It was in bad shape. It, it had been built in the 1920s. I guess it hadn't really had a whole lot of renovation. So in 2017, at that lowest price, a couple who are home builders, I've been covering them for a long time. They started building townhouses and, and houses on the, uh, like in Ukrainian village and around in there. They've built bigger and better and sold at higher prices. They bought this uh, in the $3.7 million range. They did a massive rebuild. And then in December, 2020, put it on the market. Uh, uh, they lived there for a while after the rebuild was done. Then in December, 2020, they put it on the market at $18 million. They walked me through it. It's kind of hard to believe. It's got, um, she does the styling. He does the construction. It was, it is beautiful inside um, and outside. Huge pool, big lot, over two acres so that there's a pool and there's also sort of a play court for kids and, you know, spa-like areas where you're going to have your 15 lounge chairs lined up for all your friends. Inside this beautiful curving staircase, big door openings um, so that it, you know, it feels very grand uh, as you move from space to space. They had done quite a bit um, and they have cut Six million dollars out of that out of the price. Wow! There there are not any interior photos, but there are photos of the outside of this. Uh, again, on ChicagoBusiness.com. Yeah, and if you go to that story, you can click on our past story mm -hmm. where there were interior yeah. photos. The interiors are are gone now, but in the older story, uh, we had some interiors. As you said, it's a it's a it's, there's a lot going on in that house. It's it's pretty impressive. Some of those finishes. Yeah, and it's a famous old house. For those who don't know, it's called the Pabst Mansion. There was a man named Harris Perlstein who built it in 1926. He had a malt products company. His company merged with his friend Fred Pabst in Milwaukee, and then he ended up taking it over. So it's the Pabst Mansion built in 1926, and it's a beautiful old place. Yeah, there's so many interesting, you know, storied properties that I just always think that's such an extra, such a cool layer when there's like a really neat footnote of history or something like that attached to a property. Which leads us directly to the other price cut, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh, I didn't even set that up. That's perfect. Good well, you you did subconsciously. I did. So yes. So we have talked about this place before too, because we described it as the castle in the sky. It's kind of this penthouse with a yard sitting right on top of a building on Lakeshore Drive. But there's an interesting story attached to that homeowner. Tell me about this. There is. Yeah. So it looks like a castle. It, it has giant fireplaces and crenellation and curved staircases and all that. But the other reason to call it a castle in the sky is that it has this weird, quirky connection to Princess Diana. Um, when she came to Chicago in 1996, there was a, a day there were all sorts of events, but there was a benefit at the Field Museum. Right. And the man who owned this condo at the time, Michael Wilkie, sent her a letter, sent her sent flowers to her hotel room and a letter saying, I'm going to ask you to dance at this field museum thing. Well, what he apparently did not know is that royal protocol prohibits such a thing. And it would have been especially bad because he was a divorced man and she was British royalty. So at the time, it was a huge no-no, but he did it anyway. Um, nobody, nobody came to him and said, don't do that. So he shows up and he goes and asks her to dance. And she, if you look at the old videos, she has sort of like, she's like mugging because she's sort of like, oh, how do I get out of this? <laughs> They're dancing to the song In the Mood. And then somebody else comes and and sort of, uh, you know, interrupts, change partners, and she dances mm -hmm. with somebody else. 
he ends up in the British press being called a bore and all these other things. Um, and he says, you know, what am I going to do? She's good looking. Um, what am I so going to not very, ask her to dance? He, he's like this massive media sensation if you go back to 1996. Um, and he lived in this condo at the time. Uh, he put it on the market a couple of years ago at, uh, he put it on the market at $24 million. Um, he recently took a $2 million price cut, which brings his total price cuts to $14.2 million, okay. now asking $9.75 million. And I'm saying he cut, but I, I should be clear, he died in 2021. It had been listed. He was the first, he was asking $24 million. Um, it now is in the hands of his estate, obviously, and they're the ones who made the cuts. But since his original asking price of $24 million, it's come down $14.25 million. Another very sizable price cut that we just usually are not talking about. We're talking about that's the total home price, not the price of the cut. And it's a spectacular place. We've been yeah. talking about the Princess Diana connection. But there again, when you look at the pictures, it's kind of hard to believe. It's up at the top of this um, Gold Coast co-op building built in the 20s. It's really fantastic. It's two stories high, has its own, as you said, yard up there on the roof. I mean, as we said before, when we talked about this house, you could be in there and kind of not feel like you're in the city at all. Yeah. Yeah. It would be interesting to be sitting up there with your, you've got like a gated backyard that mm -hmm. looks over Lake Michigan. It, you could think Lake Michigan is, is all yours. I think that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, two other houses to talk about. Let's talk about um, an author's home in Winnetka. Andy Weir. So he's a science fiction writer. He's actually quite successful. The, the best known work of his is called The Martian. It was made into a movie starring Matt Damon. Mm -hmm. um, he's done a lot of other work. Uh, what we said in the headline is he writes about outer space, but he's selling his earthbound home. Um, he and his wife, Ashley, bought this very nice house in the Indian Hill Club in Winnetka just a year ago, February 2022. They paid $4.42 million for it. Um, they did a lot of rehab. It looks really good. Uh, they had moved here from California. They miss California. They're moving back. So they put it back on the market. Again, they bought it for 4.42. They're asking slightly under $5 million for it. And what he told me is that basically represents what they paid for it and what they put into upgrading climate and windows and other things, as well as some redecorating. One piece of redecorating they didn't do that I love is, so it's a, it's a very formal house. It was built, I think, in the 80s, maybe the 90s, but it's a very formal house in the Indian Hill Club. It's a big Georgian house, and it's got this formal dining room where it has this historical wallpaper it depicts colonial America. It depicts a harbor. George Washington is one of the images, and this wraps the room. So they thought they were going to get rid of that wallpaper. And his wife suggested, I love this, his wife suggested replacing it with a landscape of Mars. So you'd be <laughs> in this formal Georgian dining room. And instead of looking at George Washington and ships in the harbor, you'd be looking at Mars. But as it turned out, uh, it's actually quite valuable wallpaper. It's from a, a company that's been making uh, or mural wallpaper since the 18th century in France. And um, so they didn't remove it. It's there for the next person to to enjoy. Uh, and they're asking, as I said, just under $5 million for this house. 
I love that story though, the idea of like, let's keep the, the, this mural wallpaper, but let's make it Mars or let's do it. I think that would be really fun and kind of quirky to see in a house. All right. Well, one other house, this is the Let Us Entertain You CEO who sold their Kenilworth home rather quickly. Yeah. I think we talked about this when it came on the market. It came on the market in October uh, and I wrote about it at the time. Kevin Brown, the CEO of Let Us Entertain You Restaurants, um, was asking just a bit under, just a hair under $3 million. It sold this week for $3.05 million. The difference between what he was asking and what he was selling, he got 1.7% more than his asking price. He got about $51,000 more than his asking price. It's a really nice house. It's walkable to the Joseph Sears School, the... the um, New Trier Township High School. It's walkable to the very pretty beach that Kenilworth has. You can walk to Metra. It's what I said in one of the stories is it's core Kenilworth. Great old house with, it's got porches or decks that wrap three sides. It's got a coach house with a, a three-car garage with a one-bedroom apartment upstairs, but very nicely done. He's owned it. He bought it with his wife who later died in 1993 and they have redone most of the interior. It looks absolutely wonderful. It's got great historical features like this beautiful um, bench built into the staircase, uh, but it also has these just really nice finishes in the kitchen and, and the dining room, just a, a very, I guess I'd say elegant house. He's lived there, as I said, since 1993. He started with Let Us Entertain You in 1977, when it wasn't even called Let Us Entertain You. It was just one restaurant owned by Rich Melman, R.J. Grunts in Lincoln Park. People of a certain age are very aware of R.J. Grunts. He started with that restaurant in 1977. In 2003, he became CEO of Let Us Entertain You, uh, and he still is today. And it's about a $300 million company now. Wow. I mean, that's a, that's a long time at one company. Again, you can head to chicagobusiness.com and find photos of this house. There's some really beautiful finishes inside, uh, inside this house too. You know, you mentioned those wraparound porches. There's a detail on those I think is so beautiful is that kind of finished wood flooring of the porches and also ceiling. You see these lines kind of taking the eye down the porch. It's really beautiful. Lots of great details on this too. Yeah, and I think you would use those porches as actual living space in most, but not all weather because of what you've just described. Yeah, yeah. I think it, you'd be out there for breakfast, for dinner, to read, to do your homework, whatever it would be. Maybe not this week, but the rest of the time. Maybe not this for week, sure. yeah. In most weathers. And hey, some people are just into cold weather. All right, well, what's coming up in the week ahead? A little more year-end data. One of the mm -hmm. things we have is the top 50 sales of the year, which is always fascinating because... Well, among other things, there are those two $20 million condos I mentioned. And also my year basically revolves around that list, Dennis. I'm talking about it with you. <laughs> well, once we're done with the end of the year end data, then I've got nothing to do. Once I've wrapped up, you know, everybody yeah. else wrapped up 2022 on January 1st. I've got all this data. It takes about six weeks to get it all out. And then I can move into 2023. That's right. You move into the year in February as one does. All right. Well, thanks so much, Dennis. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, following federal lead, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker said he plans to also end the state's COVID disaster proclamation in mid-May. We'll talk about that and more right after this.
This coming February, Crane's Chicago business relaunches its executive education program in leadership development, custom designed to hone the leadership skills of executives across the Chicagoland area. We're pleased to bring you new programming from Crane's Leadership Academy designed and taught by renowned faculty from Chicago Booth School of Business. The program will benefit mid- and senior-level executives from the Chicagoland area across various sectors and industries who seek to heighten their leadership skills for success during these uncertain times. Sessions will be held at the Gleacher Center in downtown Chicago from February 24th through March 24th, 2023, every Friday from 9 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. A certificate of completion from Chicago Booth and Cranes will be provided. For questions about the program, visit cranesacademy.com or email cranesacademy at crane.com. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Electric vehicle maker Rivian is cutting 6% of its workers as it looks to cut costs ahead of a price war in the electric vehicle industry. That according to reporting from Reuters. In an email to workers, which Reuters obtained, Rivian's CEO said the company is focusing on accelerating production and turning a profit. Rivian manufactures its electric vehicles in downstate normal, which will not be affected by the cuts. The California-based company has about 14,000 workers. But also of note, the company cut 6% of its workforce last summer as well. Crane's sister publication Automotive News reported that U.S. lawmakers in the House and Senate reintroduced legislation on Monday that would help law enforcement combat an alarming rise in catalytic converter thefts across the U.S. The bill, known as the Preventing Auto Recycling Theft, or PART Act, aims to reduce catalytic converter thefts by requiring new vehicles to have the vehicle identification number stamped onto the converter, allowing law enforcement officers to link stolen parts to their originating vehicles. The legislation would also create a grant program to allow dealerships, repair shops, and other eligible parties to stamp vehicle identification numbers onto converters of existing vehicles, and it would establish federal criminal penalties for theft, sale, trafficking, or known purchases of stolen catalytic converters. In Chicago, thefts of catalytic converters skyrocketed last year, leading to massive insurance payouts and even efforts by the Chicago police to help residents spray paint the parts in hopes of deterring future thefts. The thefts have also resulted in several shootings across the city. Automotive News noted in reporting that in the U.S., catalytic converters are being stolen at increasingly higher rates because they contain costly precious metals such as platinum, palladium, and rhodium and are not easily traceable. The National Insurance Crime Bureau said there were more than 14,000 catalytic converter thefts reported in the U.S. in 2020, compared with fewer than 3,400 cases in 2019, and in 2018, fewer than 1,300. Stolen converters can go for up to $350 each on the black market, according to the National Automobile Dealers Association, but replacement costs to vehicle owners can average more than $2,500. Bloomberg reported that FedEx is cutting its global management jobs by more than 10 percent to become what it described as a more efficient, agile organization. That according to a memo to workers from the company's CEO. Besides the reduction of officers and directors, FedEx also said in its February 1st memo that it also plans to consolidate some teams and functions and said the changes will align the size of the network with customer demand. In the memo, the CEO also said the process was critical to ensure they remain competitive in a rapidly changing environment and said that it requires some, quote, difficult decisions. 
Following the lead of President Joe Biden, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker said he also plans to end the state's COVID public health emergency proclamation on May 11th. Crane's Catherine Davis reported that the decision to end the pandemic emergency comes nearly three years after the first COVID-19 case appeared in Illinois and marks an end to what health officials say is the worst of the pandemic. Davis reported that back in March of 2020, Illinois joined 12 other states in declaring COVID a public health emergency. Since then, Illinois has recorded more than 4 million COVID cases and 36,000 deaths. That according to data from the Illinois Department of Public Health. Davis noted in reporting that declaring health emergencies allowed both the federal and state governments to bring in additional funding and to expand health care access for residents. As a result, Illinois residents were able to collect additional SNAP benefits, EBT support, and Medicaid coverage. A statement from Governor Pritzker's office also pointed to a number of ways state and local governments benefited from the disaster proclamation, including federal reimbursement for state response costs, use of the state disaster relief fund covering direct state costs and reimbursements to the Illinois National Guard and mutual aid groups, use of the state's mutual aid network to deploy to areas of shortage, authorizing the governor to activate Illinois National Guard reservists, some of whom were doctors and nurses and served on the front lines of of the pandemic response and allowed for expedited procurement. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.